Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. The MTG Novels Project is available both on YouTube and as a podcast version. Check the description for more details. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Today we continue with Chapter 22 of Planeswalker by Lynn Abbey. There is no laughter three days later, over the Sea of Laments. The weather had been chancy since Sancha had put the Argivian coast at her back. From the start, thick clouds had blocked her view of the sun and stars. She navigated against the wind. She knew it wasn't steady and with an innate sense of direction that grew less reliable as she tired. There hadn't seen land for two days, not even a boat. Sancha would have brought the sphere down on a raft just then and taken her chances with strangers. The black wall cloud had formed, leaking lightning to the northeast. The waves below were stiff with crosswinds and froth. She knew better than to try to soar over the impending storm. Didn't have the strength to outrun it, and didn't know what would happen to the sphere if when down drift slammed it into the ocean. Retepe had had his arms round her, keeping Zancha warm and upright, the most he could do. He spotted the storms, but hadn't said anything. Other than that, he knew how to swim. Retepe was one up on Zancha there. The long-go seaman, who had taught her the sail, had warned her never to get friendly with the sea. If when they went down, she yawned out Urza's armor. Maybe it would keep her afloat, though it never had kept her dry. The storm was bigger than the cloud wall, and fickle too. In a matter of minutes, it spawned smaller clouds. One to the north, the other directly overhead. The first wind was a downward draft that hit the sphere so hard Zancha and Metepe were weightless, floating and screaming within. Then, as Zancha fought to keep them above the waves, a vagrant wind struck from the south. The south wind pushed them into the sheets of noisy, blinding rain. The squall died as suddenly as it had been born. Zancha could see again, and wish she couldn't. The distance between them and the storm's heart had been halved, and worse. A water spout had spun out, rooted in both the ocean and the clouds. The sinuous column of seawater and wind bore down on them as if it had eyes, and they were the prey. What is that? Vatepe whispered. Water spout, she told him, and felt his fingers lock into her arms like talons. Is it going to eat us? The water spout wasn't alive and didn't really have an appetite for fools, but that scarcely mattered, as they were caught and spun with such force that the sphere flattened against them. It flattened but held, even when they slammed into the raging waves. At one point, Zanja thought they were underwater, if only because everything had become dark and quiet. Then the ocean spat them out, and they hurled through wind and rain. Wind, rain, and above all, lightning. Whatever the cis produced, whether it was Urza's armor or the sphere, it attracted lightning. Bolts struck constantly. The air within the sphere turned acrid and odd. It pulled their hair and clothes away from their body and set everything aglow with a blue-white light. Sancha lost her sense of north and south and counted herself lucky that she still knew up from down. Every few moments, the storm paused, as if regrouping its strength for the next assault. In one such breather, Retepe leaned close to her ear and said, I love you. She shouted back, We're not dead yet and surrendered the sphere to an updraft that carried them into the storm's heart. 
that rose until the rain became ice and froze around the sphere, making it heavy and driving it down to the sea. Sancha thought for sure that they'd hit the waves, sink and drown. But the storm wasn't done playing with them yet. As this lightning boiled off the ice, the winds launched them upward again. Sancha tried to break the cycle, but her efforts were useless. They rose and froze, plummeted and rose again, not once or twice, but nine times before they fell one last time and found themselves floating on the ocean as the storm passed on to the south. The pitch and roll among the choppy waves was an insult after injury, but Tepe's grip on Sancha's arm weakened and she suffered nausea. I can't lift us up, she said, having tried and failed. I'm going to have to let go of the sphere. No, but Tepe's plea had been a shout. It was barely coherent moan instead. I'll make another. Too sick. Can't float. She tried to ignite his spirit. A little seasickness wouldn't kill him. Can't. Waste not, want not. I'm the one who can't swim. I'm counting on you to keep me afloat until I can make another sphere. But Tepe slumped beside her. His face was gray and sweaty. His eyes were closed. Whatever strength he had left was dedicated to fighting the spasms in his gut. A little bit of seasickness would kill them both if she released the sphere. And if she didn't release it, Sanja tried to make it rise. But lifting the sphere had always been something that simply happened as it formed, and not anything she ever consciously controlled. Urza, but Pepe said through Code's teeth, Urza, come. Your heart. Urza had come when she nearly blown herself up with the Phyrexian ambulator, but now she wasn't in any imminent danger. The sky overhead was a brilliant blue, and the sphere bobbed like a driftwood log. Sorry, Tepe. If he didn't pull us out of that storm we were riding, then he's not going to pull us out of here. I'm not close enough to die and to get his attention. Gotta be away. Zancha peeled with Tepe's sweat-soaked hair away from his eyes. He'd said he loved her, in a moment of sheer panic, of course, but there was a chance he'd been telling the truth. Sexless, parrotless, newt that she was, Zancha did imagine she'd love a born folk. But she felt something for the miserable young man beside her that she'd never felt before. Something worth more than all the books and all her other treasures. Hold on, she urged, grasping his hand. I'll think of something. Zanja couldn't think of anything. She had already tried, and the sphere remained mired in the water. The wave had lessened, and she enjoyed the gentle movement. But Batepe was as miserable as when the storm had dropped them. And by the way, he was sweating out of his misery. He'd be parked before too long. Come morning, we'll be late, she said as the sky darkened. Maybe Urza will come looking for us, but maybe not right away. Can't you do something to make him look? Batepe asked. The whole sentence exhausted him. He rested with his eyes closed. Sancha tried to tell Batepe that the motion would bother him less if he sat up and looked at the horizon, as he'd learned to do when they were soaring. But Tepe insisted the motions were totally dissimilar and refused to try. How does Urza know when you need him? He doesn't, Zancha answered. When we were dodging Phyrexian, we stayed close. For the rest of the time, I never gave him much thought to needing it, and he certainly never needed me. Never? Three thousand years? And you never needed each other? Never. But Tepe sighed and curled around his knees. He began to shiver. A bad sign considering how warm the Sea of Immense was in the summer. Sancha tucked her blankets around him, and then, because she's worked up a sweat herself and stripped off her outer tunic, 
It got tangled in her hair, and in the throng of a pendant she'd wore so long she'd forgotten why she wore it. You can hit me now, she said, breaking the throng. What? I said you can hit me now. We can wait till after we find out if this thing still works. What? A long time ago, and I mean a long time ago, Urza did make me an artifact that would get his attention. I used something like it once before, before Urza invaded Frexia. I have to break it. That time, Zanja had crushed the little crystal between two rocks. This time, she tried to bite it, and broke a tooth before it cracked. Waste not, want not. At least she'd been foresighted enough to use their back teeth, which grew back quicker than the front ones. At that time, between the rocks, there's a small flash of light, as whatever power or sorcery Ursula had sealed within the crystal was released. This time, Zanja never saw or felt anything. When she examined the broken pieces, they were lined with sooty residue that didn't look promising. How long? Otepe asked. A day before, he got there with his dragon. Otepe groaned. Too long. Zanja was inclined to agree. Urza must have come back to the forest before he went after the dragon. He wouldn't have taken the chance that the Frexians might get away, and after he'd finished with the diggers, he'd know where the ambulator was. If Urza was going to haul them out of the Sea of Laments, they'd be on dry land before Moonrise. If Urza was going to haul them out of the Sea of Laments, they'd be on dry land before Moonrise. If the crystal hadn't lost its power, if Urza recognized its signal and remembered what it had meant. Those were worries Zanja kept to herself. The stars came out. Zanja began to fear the worst, at least about Urza, and for Watepe. They had enough food and water for two more days. Taking advantage of her newt's resilience, Zanja could get to land either way. She wasn't sure about Watepe. It would be a stupid way for anyone to die, but the same could be said about most deaths. Watepe fell asleep. His breathing steadied. His skin grew warmer and drier. He might be over his seasickness by morning. He had adapted to soaring, and there was nothing to be gained by premature despair. Sancho settled in around him. It was remarkable that two bodies could be more comfortable curled around each other than either was alone. She closed her eyes. Sancho woke up with a stabbing pain in her gut, water slashing against her armpits, and Urza shouting in her ear. What misbegotten scheme put you in the middle of the ocean? He had her by the nape of the neck, like a cat carrying a kitten and held with Tepe the same way. The sphere was burst, obviously. Sancha knew she could yawn out the armor, but Urza moved too fast. There's a split instant between worlds, a heartbeat longer in the wintry winds of a nearby world, then back through the between worlds to the cottage. Sancha was gasping, mostly because Urza dropped her before turning his attempt to Tepe, who turned blue during the three-stride walk. She knew his color because they traveled west, and the sun wasn't close to set before behind the off red ridge. A bit of healing and a few sips from the off of a green bottle off of the shelves brought Ratepe around. Shade your clothes, brother, Urza commanded in a tone that had surely started battles in the long ago nursery. Wash, get something to eat. Zancha and I need to talk. Misha, of course, stood his ground. Don't blame Zancha, and don't think you can ignore me again. I'm the one who wanted to see Koilos. Ratepe pronounced the word in an old-fashioned way. Zanja dared to glance at Urza's eyes, thinking her lover was getting advice from the weak stone. Both of Urza's eyes were glossy, black from lid to lid. Both of Urza's eyes were glossy, black, from lid to lid. She hadn't seen him like that since they left Frexia, which made her think of Gix and Nethran, and a score of other things they quickly stifled. Zanja tried to catch Ratepe's eye, 
and pass him a warning to tread cautiously if he couldn't figure that out for himself. With his bolder marker, Pepe had effectively changed the landscape of recrimination. If Zancha could have siege controlled the argument at that moment, she could have guaranteed there be no revelations about the fate of the Thran. If she could have siege control, she didn't catch Pepe's eye, and Urza had lost interest in her as well. Corlos is dead. There's nothing left. We took it all, brother. Us and the Phyrexians, Urza said, leaving Zancha to wonder if he'd visited the cave since his return to Dominaria. I needed to see it with my own eyes, Retepe replied, a comment that, considering the circumstances, could have many layers of meaning. You told me to go away for a while, so I did. I never meant for you to go to Koilos. If it was Koilos you wanted, we could have gone together. That was never a good idea, Urza, Retepe said with finality as he walked out the open door, following the near orders Urza had already given. You should have stopped him, Urza hissed at Zancho when they were alone. My brother is fragile. Kolos could have torn him apart. It's just another place, Urza, Zancho countered, resisting the urge that Advertepe was just another man. Neither statement was true. After a year on the Ohran Ridge, Vatepe might not be Mishra, but he'd become more than a willful one-time slave. Just another place, Urza mocked her. For one like you, yes. I suppose that would be. But what would you see? A cave? Some ruins? What did my brother see? He isn't quite himself yet. The next one will be better, stronger. I expect it would be several Mishras before I take one back to Kolos. There won't be another Mishra, Urza. Urza turned away. He puddled at his work table, scraping up residues and dumping them in a bucket. He'd been working on something when the crystal st struck his mind. Sanchez's anger, always quick to flare, was always quick to fade. Thank you for picking us out of the ocean. I didn't know at first. It took me a moment to remember what it was that I was hearing. I'd made that crystal for you so long ago, when I still thought I could invade and destroy Phyrexia. My ambitions have grown smaller since Equilor. It's all I can do to protect Dominaria from them. I'll make you another. Make it easier to break. I lost a tooth on this one. Make one for Retepe too. Retepe? Urza looked up puzzled, then nodded. When this is over... When I've exposed the sleepers and put Phyrexia on notice that the Dominaria is prepared to fight them, it'll be time to talk with the future. I've thought about it while you were gone. This cottage isn't big enough. I began to envision permanent defenses for all of Dominaria, for old Teresier and all the other great islands. Artifacts on a scale to dwarf any that I've made before. I'll build them in place, and when I finish one of my new centuries, I'll move on to the next. I'll need assistance, of course other than me, and Sancha left her thought dangling. What I planned will take a generation, maybe ten before it is complete. An assistance I have in mind will become the guardians of my centuries. They'll become the patriarchs and matriarchs of permanent communities. You understand that, can't you? As for him, he is mortal, not like you or me. We are what the Phyrexians made us. I can't change that or him. I wouldn't, even if I could. That would be adding abomination to abomination. But he, Retepe, my brother, will age and die. I thought, I hoped, you would choose, while we were together these last few days, to remain together with him. Somewhere else? Yes, it would be best. For me. For what I have to do. Urza wasn't mad. Not the way he'd been mad, and locked in the past for so long. 
Bringing him face to face with Misha had set him free to be the man Caleb and Krug had known. Self-centered, self-confident, and selfish. Blithenly convinced until the world came to an end that whatever he wanted was best for everyone else. Sancha was too weird for anger. We'll talk, she agreed. But she'd tell him what she learned at Kolos. More likely, she wouldn't bother. Urza was immune to truth. Do you still need either of us? Or should we make ourselves scarce, she asked. No, not at all. I have work for you, Zancha. He gestured towards one wall where boxes were piled high. They've all got to be put in place. I'll walk you there. You know, it's quite fortunate in a way that you broke the crystal. I'd forgotten them completely. I'll make a score by dawn. Think of it. No more waiting. No more wasted time. As soon as you're finished, you can summon me and I'll walk you to the next place. Tomorrow, she said, heading for the door. Sancha had gotten what she wanted. If she'd been born with true imagination, she would have known that getting what she wanted wasn't the same as getting what she expected. Tonight, I've got to rest. Retepe was waiting her for her in the other room. Did you tell him? Sancha shook her head. She sat down heavily on the stool. The chest with her copies of the Antiquity Wars caught her eye. What would Kayla have said? Urza never really changes. His friends never really learn. There wasn't any need to tell Urza anything. His God's visions, his future. Nothing I'll tell him will make any difference. Just like you said, we're going to be busy until the global mood goes high. I am at least. He's got a pile of spires for me to plant and great plans for that crystal I broke. Watch and see. By tomorrow, Urza will have decided that it was his idea for us to get stuck in the Sea of Laments. Retepe stood behind her, rubbing her neck and shoulders. It had only taken a year, after more than 3,000, to become dependent on the touch of living fingers. She'd miss him. I should have stayed, he asked. I hoped if I took the blame, if I'd made Misha take it, he calmed down quicker. Guess I was wrong. Not entirely. You had a good idea, and you handled it well. She shrugged off his hands and stood. Has Urza ever told you that he thinks that you're the first of many Mishras you're going to walk back into his life? Never in those words, but sometimes. I know he's frustrated with me. Scares me sometimes. Because if he decided he didn't want me around, there's nothing I could do about it. But I've gotten used to not having charge of my own life. I've forgotten, Retepe. I'm just rat, trying to live another day, and not always sure why, except for you. Sancha studied her hands, not Retepe's face. Maybe you should think about taking charge of your life again. He's decided it's time for a new Mishra. Do I get help finding my replacement? No, that doesn't sound right. I mean, I'm not going to look for another Mishra. She took a deep breath, and I won't be here for another Mishra comes walking over the ridge. Retepe pushed air through his teeth. He's setting us both away because we went to Kolos. She shook her head. Because my plan worked. Urza's not thinking about the past anymore. You and I were part of his past. I'll go back to Efren Pankar, to Pankar City, Retepe spoke aloud, but mostly to himself. After he exposed the sleepers and all Taverna's going to need are good men. If Taverna's not a sleeper himself, if he is, I don't know who will become king. We'll need good men even more. What about you? We could work together for Efren Picar. You're smarter than you think you are. You leap sometimes, when you should think, as if a part of you is as young as you look. But you know things that never got written down. 
Sancho walked to the window. I'm part of the past, Tepe, and I'm tired. I never realized just how tired. It's been a long day, and the worst always falls on you. He was behind her again, rubbing her shoulders and guiding her towards the bed. Sancho's weirdness wasn't anything that sleep or Tepe's passion could cure, but she wasn't about to discuss the point. Urza walked her to Mauvern shortly after dawn. He left her with two socks of improved spiders, explicit instructions for where they should be placed, and a plain-looking crystal he promised wouldn't break her teeth. Four days later, Zancha took no chances and crushed the crystal between two stones. Urza walked her to Bezuret, then to other sleeper-ridden city-states on Goldmanese's southern and eastern coasts. There wasn't time, he said, for side trips to the cottage. They had 18 days until the glimmer moon struck its zenith. What about Effin Punkar? she asked before he left her, and a sack of spires on the hill behind another southern tower. Will it be a time to put the new ones there? You and him? Urza complained. Yes, I've taken care of that myself. When the night comes, that's where you'll be, in the plaza outside the palace in Pigar City. I wouldn't dare suggest any other place. Now you understand what has been done here. The spires in that sack. They're for open spaces, for plazas, markets, and temple precincts. You've got to put them where there are at least 20 paces all around. Less, and the vibrations will start to cancel each other out. And make sure you put them where they won't attract attention or be trampled. You understand? That's important. They mustn't be trampled. They might break, or worse, they'll trigger prematurely. They'd come a long way from screaming spiders, Sanchez supposed. She'd find out exactly how far in Pinkar City until then. Twenty paces all around. No attention. No beach feet. How long? Two days. Less if you can. There's some place in the west that we've missed. And it wouldn't hurt to put a few across the sea in our guide via. There's a... We've never looked for Frexians there. They couldn't hurt if there's time. With that, Urza walked away. Seventeen days later, the eastern city of Narjabul, in which Zancha was planting spiders, had begun to fill with revelers for the coming Midsummer Festival. Finding the privacy she needed to plant them was becoming more difficult by the hour. At least a tall, blonde-haired man stepped out of the crowd and said, I think there's nothing more to be done. Let's walk home. The man was Urza, looking like a man in his mid-twenties, and dressed in a witch merchant's silks that felt as real as they looked. Zancha hadn't expected them to see for another day, she hadn't felt she could break the crystal before then. I'm nowhere near finished, she confessed. There aren't enough rooms. The crowds just stay on the streets. It's been difficult. It's getting worse. They sleep in the plazas where I'm trying to plant spiders. No matter, Urza assured her. One spider more or less won't win the day or the night. There's always next month, next year. He is in one of his benign and generous moods. Sancha found herself instantly suspicious. Has something gone wrong, she asked. Are the spiders at the college... She hesitated to say Tepe's name. No, no. I thought you and he might want to celebrate. I thought I'd walk you both to Pinkar City and leave you there tonight. Urza's arm draped around Zancha's shoulder and was steering her through the crowd when they were accosted by three rowdy youths, considerably worse for the wine and ale that flowed freely in the guild tents pitch across the plaza. The soberest of the trio complimented Urza's wide cup boots, while some, while one of his companions grabbed Zancha from the behind and the third tried to steal Urza's coin pouch. Zancha stomped her bull heel on the attacker's instep and rammed her elbow against his ribs to free herself. The youth, remarkably sobered by his pain, immediately shouted, Help! Thief! 
He's taken my purse and my father's sack. Help, stop him before he gets away. Sancho had no intention of running or of surrendering the Spiderfield sack. She had a fighting knife and could put a swift end to her attackers. But they'd drawn attention, and in the middle of a mob was a dangerous place to make a defensive stand. Even with Urza's armor. If she had been alone, Sancho would have used her sphere and made a spectacular exit. She wasn't alone, though. Urza was a few steps away in the midst of his own fracas. So she yawned the armor out of her, herself instead and hoped to get them free before too many revelers got hurt. Justice was swift and presumptive. A bystander grabbed her from behind, again, and put a knife against her throat. He probably guessed that was something wasn't quite right before she stomped and elbowed him as she'd done with her first attacker. But everyone knew she was more than she seemed when she saw that the knife hadn't drawn blood. Most folk retreated, making war signs as they went. But a few rose to the challenge. One of the challengers, a thick-set man in long robes, pounded a silver-bounded ebony staff against the cobstones and was also a sorcerer. Urza, Zanja shouted, a name that was apt to get everyone's attention anywhere in Denaria. It didn't matter what language she used, and after that added, let's go. The sorcerer cast a spell, a serpentine rope of crimson fire that fizzled in a sigh of dark, foul-spelling smoke when it touched the armor. He'd readied another when Urza ended the confrontation. Urza had abandoned the, his merchant's family for imposing robes that made him seem taller and more massive. He didn't have his staff. It was absolutely real and couldn't be hidden. But Urza, the artificer, didn't need a staff. Mana flowed out of him easily. Even Zancha could feel it moving between her armored feet, in such abundance that he could afford to target his spells precisely, small but not fatal. Lightning jolts for the three troublemakers and a mana-leeching miasma for the sorcerer, who intervened on the wrong side of a brawl. Then Urza clapped his hands around Zancha and walked her between worlds. Between us and the spiders, Everyone in Narja Bool's going to remember this year's Midsummer Festival. Sancha laughed when her feet were on solid ground outside the cottage. Urza grimaced. They'll remember my name. The sleeper and who knows what else might get suspicious before tomorrow night. I didn't want to be connected with this. Not yet. I want Phyrexia to know that Dominaria is fine back. Not that Urza has returned to haunt them. I'm sorry. I'd had a knife to my throat. There's a sorcerer taking an aim at me and a crowd get to be very unpleasant. I wasn't thinking about consequences. I never expect you to. The tepe came out of the workroom. They hadn't seen each other for 17 hectic days. But when Zancha kept her greeting restrained, he caught the warning and didn't likewise until they were alone in the other room. Did Urza tell you we were going to watch the spiders from Efren Pukhar? He lifted Zancha off the floor and spun her around. He said he was going to leave us there. But tepe sat her down. I told him that you'd give me your word that I could go back to my old life. I called it the life I had before, Mishra awoke within me. He started talking about making big artifact sentries, just like you said. He didn't quite come out and say that he'd wanted to make room for a new Mishra too, but I understood that's what he meant. I keep thinking about the weak stone, but Tepe shook his head. If Urza paid attention to the weak stone, he'd have an aching head, but he's less attuned to it now than it was when he got here. He's putting the past behind him. I decided to make it easier for myself. If he leaves me in Pencar City, I'm no worse off than I was a year ago. Better, in fact, since I've learned some artifacts. But Tepe tried to sound optimistic and failed. Sancha opened the chest, where she kept her supply of precious stones and metals. Weren't hurt to be prepared, she handed him a heavy gold chain that kept a modest man in comfort for life. 
He changed his mind about you, Roxantia. He's never going to send you away. Retepe insisted, but he dropped the chain over his head and tucked it discreetly under his tunic. Zanja hauled out her coins as well and a thirst full knife with a hidden compartment in its sheath. It's a festival of fruits, Retepe protested, refusing to accept the weapon. There's going to be chaos for sure, and who knows what it is afterwards. She took his hand and lightly slapped a knife into it. What is about a sword then too, he asked, eyeing her rafter hung collection. I was wrong to have a sword in Medran. Efren Picard doesn't have a warrior cult. A new ability averted its eyes about ten years ago. We'll try to be part of the crowd. Knives are a common man's weaponry. You're nervous, Matepe asked with evident disbelief. Cautious. You and Urza, you're acting as if this is going to be some victory celebration. We do not know what's going to happen. Not in a whole lot of ways. You don't want to go? No. I want to see what happens. And Urza made up his mind. I haven't survived all this time by being careless. That's all. You're nervous about being with me and taking care of me because you think I can't take care of myself. Sancha pulled up her pant leg and buckled an emergency stash of gold around her calf. She didn't answer Retepe's question. I know Pinkar City, he said petulantly. It's my home and I can keep my own nose clean if I need to. Abahur's mercy. It's a damn festival of feuds, seven days of berries, all music and bright colors. Parents bring their children. Unimpressed, Sanja handed him a smaller knife to tuck inside his boot, then closed the chest on her treasures, wondering if she'd ever look at Kayla's pictures again. That was Chapter 22 of Planeswalker. Please like, subscribe, and follow on YouTube and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening.